0: The title of our message today is Peter versus Paul, the face off in Antioch. I wanted so much to call it Peter versus Paul, the smackdown in Antioch. <laughs> so, as I'm looking for a title and I'm looking at Peter and Paul going at it in this chapter, and at least Paul's remembering them going at it, and I'm thinking Ali Frazier, the rumble in the jungle, Ali Foreman, you know, uh, the thriller in Manila, right? Peter versus Paul, the face-off in Antioch. So that's where my mind went here. And uh, Paul has had, there are two confrontations that Paul has in his ministry that we know of. Confrontations with other Christians, with other believers. Interestingly enough, Barnabas is involved in both of them. But one of them is with Barnabas and one of them is with Peter. Now, Barnabas literally means encouragement. Barnabas, when you study the book of Acts, is one of those characters that you find yourself saying, I want to be a Barnabas. He just comes alongside of people. When Paul wanted to come to Jerusalem shortly after, three years after he got saved, the disciples wouldn't see him. They were scared of him. They were like, no, this guy kills Christians. And Barnabas took him in to meet Peter. And he spent 15 days with Peter. So Barnabas was willing to reach out and take a chance with Paul. And you remember that they went on their first missionary trip together with John Mark. So John Mark is the one who wrote the book of Mark. And later on in Paul's life, Paul says, I think it's 1st or 2nd Timothy, send John Mark to me because he's a comfort to me. He's a help to me. He wanted to have John Mark there with him. Um, He was one of the Mary's sons. Uh, They were in Mary's house waiting, praying for Peter. That was John Mark's mother when they were in the house praying for Peter to be released from prison. Well, John Mark wanted to go on the first missionary trip out of Antioch to go into the regions of, of Galatia. They were the regions that we're looking at here in Galatians. And um, he left. Things got tough on the mission field and he left. And so when it came time for the second missionary journey to happen, Barnabas was like, he's the encourager. Let's take John Mark. And Paul's like, no, we're taking someone we can count on. We can't count on him. He left us in the middle of of us in a difficult, hard time. And I'm, I'm not taking him. And Barnabas said, we're taking him. And the confrontation got so difficult that they split company. They stopped being a missionary team because of that. Now, this tells me a couple of things. Remember, just because something is told in the Bible doesn't mean that everybody's being godly in it. It doesn't mean that the inspiration doesn't mean that we're hearing that people are correct in what they're doing. When I study the confrontation with Barnabas, I find myself thinking, Paul, I think you should have been a little more gracious. Now, I may be wrong. Maybe Barnabas was being too gracious. Maybe God was requiring doing such a work and bringing the gospel the first time that God didn't want anyone going along that really wasn't 100% that could stick it out. But we do know that he wrote the book of Mark. And we do know that Paul asked for him later on in his life. So we know that Paul did repair that relationship. Although, and Barnabas took John Mark and went one way and, and Paul took Silas and went another way. We continue to hear about Paul and Silas, but we don't hear about Barnabas and John Mark. Now, in the first part of chapter two in Galatians, we obviously see that Paul is upset. We pointed it out last week. He makes some statements about Peter, James, and John as being so-called pillars. He says, and these so-called pillars added nothing to me. He was going to Jerusalem to figure out whether or not the gospel he was preaching was the same as the disciples taught. He knew that if if the disciples were teaching something different, that he was wrong. And if you would like to study that more, if you missed it, that's last week's study, last Wednesday night's study. There's a lot of really good information on there as Paul deals with it. But Paul, it seems to me, is being disrespectful to the other apostles. Whether they are someone or not, I don't know. God doesn't show any partiality, he says. And I got thinking about that a little bit later on. And I thought, you know, maybe it's not as disrespectful as I think. Maybe God really wanted to fight against hierarchy in the church. That God doesn't want us to think that person is just so amazing and he holds this great position and I'm just this. It's like the statement that Paul makes, I think, is scripture. God holds no partiality. God doesn't look at someone and go, well, that's Chuck Smith. I'm going to use him in this great way. Well, that's Robert Furrow. I think God does what God's going to do with individuals. And God gives gifts and talents to each individual. And God expects people to live up to the gifts and talents that they have. But I do think there's something to God doesn't show partiality. And, And maybe them taking a little bit of authority over Paul that Paul thought, you shouldn't be taking that authority over me because we really are brothers in Christ, that's who we are. And even when we get the direction for shepherds in 1 Peter chapter five, we're told not to do it because we have to, not to do it out of greediness, and we're told to not lord over the people. So a pastor is not supposed to be the guy who's in charge, the guy telling people what to do. When a pastor starts to do that, he's violating the very ethics that the Bible put out for pastors. He's not supposed to do it. That's why I always tell you, if you find yourself in a church where they're telling you who to marry, get out of there. You pray about it, you're the one that's got to live with them, not that pastor. (laughs) There's real problems with pastors. cross certain lines they should never cross. But Paul is obviously upset and maybe he was disrespectful to them in the first part of this as he remembered going to Jerusalem, having them tell him, we're going to put no restrictions on the Gentiles. This is very early on in Acts. This is before chapter 15, where they have a council and they settle it, where Peter stands up and says, I brought the gospel to Cornelius, the Segerian. I preached the gospel to them. They were filled with the spirit. I thought since God accepted them, I was going to put no further restrictions on them. I baptized them. So Peter agrees. Peter's saying we should not make Gentiles keep the law. Peter agrees with them. Um... And so we pick it up in verse 11 now and Paul's gonna talk about the confrontation. This is why he's been a little uppity in the first 10 verses because he's gonna tell the story now of what makes him a little uppity, okay? So Paul and Barnabas were pastors in Antioch. You remember that Barnabas went to Antioch. Antioch was a city that um, is right by the coast. It's just up a little ways from Israel. I'm gonna try to look at the size of this city. Um, it, was, it was the third largest city in the world at this time, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. This is the city that they are pastoring in. And so Barnabas and Paul are pastoring in Antioch and Gentiles are getting saved. And we pick it up in verse 1, 11 of Galatians chapter 2. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Literally, he says, I withstood him to his face because he was wrong." We, we have a physical, an early physical representation of Peter, of Paul. Paul, it was said, was of a shorter height. Didn't really call him short, but kind of short to middling. And that his hair was thinning and his knees were fall apart, far apart. I don't know what that means. Probably bow-legged, right? Unless he walked around like this, you know. I don't know. So he's probably bow-legged. Um, and We have from 400 years later. So this is not, you know, when you get something 400 years later, you don't put as much stock in it as you do something earlier or later, you could say closer to the source. Um, But it said that Peter was a large man. One source says he was tall. Another one says that he was large. So that could mean a few things, right? It could mean one too many shawarmas. It could mean that he was, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It could mean that he was just tall and skinny. Nevertheless, it's a pretty fun, funny thing, feeling or thought when you think about Peter, uh, Paul walking up. And, and in fact, there's a passage. Let me see if I wrote this down. Um, where it says... Uh, all right. Well, there's a passage that says... I, I, thought it was, I thought I put it in my notes. But there's a passage that says, they say that Paul is strong in letter, but weak in appearance. So Paul actually makes a reference to his appearance being weak. And he goes and he stands face to face with with Peter, who is the leader of the apostles. And he's the undeniable leader, I think. In every list that you get, Peter is at the top of the list. It's Peter and then the other disciples that are listed. And, and, And you might say, well, that doesn't really mean anything. So he's the first one listed there. Andrew introduced him, he's one of the first apostles. If that's the case, he should have had Andrew listed before Peter. But at the bottom of every list is Judas. Starts with Peter. Ends with Judas. Every list. You don't get a list that starts differently than that. So he's a leader. And here comes Peter. Talking to his face. Face off. Right? Because he was to blame. And so then we pick it up. Uh, down in. Um, let's. Let, um, let's talk a little bit about confrontation. Um. So so now we've seen two confrontations of Barnabas and Paul, and Paul and Peter. And it sounds like both of them are a little rough. So I just want to, first of all, talk about what we should do when we have a confrontation. What does the Bible tell us to do? I'm not trying to judge Paul here. I kind of wonder, you know, whether or not he could be a little hot-headed. You know, God knows. God deals with that. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are supposed to have a spirit of gentleness, that if someone is overcome in a sin, listen to what it says in Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may t- uh, know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So in a spirit of gentleness. Now, interestingly enough, Galatians 6 is the book we're studying, 6-1, and Second Timothy is Paul's very last letter that he ever wrote. I'll give you another one by Paul. And this is that we're supposed to be kind and tender-hearted to each other. It says, "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake forgave you," Ephesians 4:32. This tells us that our interaction ought to be gentle and kind. It might, never, it might not mean that there's never a time to have some righteous anger and to be dealing with something forthright, but that should never trump love. Love should always be the issue. And we're going to see that Paul faced off in Antioch with, with Peter because he was caring about the people who were there. And this might be when Paul's talking about liberty and freedom and Antioch is not in Galatia. Antioch is where they went off into Galatia. But he may feel like they have some culpability in this false doctrine because there's a transition taking place. They're moving from being Jewish and living by Jewish laws into walking by grace. And the Bible walks us through this transition. And the Bible is very clear. When you talk to a legalist, they usually will say something about, well, you know, people, if they walk in grace, they're going to get too involved in sin. Well, the Bible deals with that. The Bible says, should we continue in grace that sin may abound? May it never be. And we're going to see why that, that should not happen if we're doing the proper thing that we're supposed to be doing here. But they were going through a transition. The temple was still around. They were, uh, James is the pastor in Jerusalem. Peter and the other apostles are still in Jerusalem. And... The temple's still there. They're very Jewish. And as far as we know, they hadn't stopped being Jewish until they went to Antioch. So it says then in verse 12, for before certain men came from James, James is the brother of Jesus who became the pastor of Jerusalem. Before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Peter. He'd sit down with them and have a a cheeseburger. Which if if you know, If you uh, know it's not kosher, you can't have meat and dairy products at the same time. You have to have them separated in order to be uh, kosher. The reason for that is because you're not supposed to boil a mother's, a kid in the mother's milk. And so there's a chance that the milk was from the mom and the kid and you're eating them together and the acids of your stomach are cooking them together. So it became kosher. You don't eat, um, you don't put butter on your bread if you're eating, you know, beef or lamb. That's not kosher. Maybe they were having a pork, you know, some pork belly sandwich. I don't know. Or pork belly shawarma. I don't know. But under the law, there was no way they could sit down and have a meal with Gentiles. There's no way. You would be breaking, just eating their food, which is not prepared in a kosher manner. You would be breaking it. Doesn't matter if everything on the menu was kosher. Like maybe they thought, well, Peter's eating with us. Let's make kosher food. They are Gentiles who are preparing kosher, they're preparing unkosher food because they're preparing it. And so Peter knows there's some change. He's got an idea. So he eats with the Gentiles before the certain men came from James. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcised. Now, Paul gives him his motive here. He was fearing those of the circumcised, which fits a little bit with Peter's character. The denial of the Lord, maybe some other incidences during the ministry of Jesus where you see Peter a little bit hesitant. And so when James, when these men came from James, he withdrew, wouldn't meet with the Gentiles anymore, but ain't with the circumcised. And how do you think that made the Gentiles feel? And how do you think it opened up the door for the legalist to be able to go, yeah, when the men from James came, Peter left, he knew he was doing wrong. So that's why I say, I think Paul is feeling like these guys are a little culpable in this false doctrine that is spreading throughout all of the Gentile regions. And Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter is the apostle to the Jewish people. And so he says, and the rest of the Jews also played a hypocrite with him. So he calls him a hypocrite. If, if this were a fight, Paul's getting all the points. You know, he's like, he was to blame. Yeah, he, you know, he was doing it because of, uh, he wanted to please men. He uh, other people played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So even Barnabas, who we know at this point, Paul and, and Barnabas have this great relationship. Paul even owes his connection to ministry and the apostles to Barnabas. And he says, even Barnabas got caught up in it. Barnabas stopped eating with them. So now the Jews that were there in Antioch ministering to this large town with this huge group of Gentiles that are saved won't sit down and eat with them. Barnabas, the encourager, is even drug away with it. And Peter's drug away in their hypocrisy. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and <laughs> I love this, he says, When I saw they weren't straightforward about the gospel, what is the gospel? That you're saved by faith through grace. You, you can't add any works to it. The works are going to be completely eliminated by the end of this chapter. This is why legalists will uh, will not want to, a lot of them don't want to accept Paul's writings. They say Paul wasn't really inspired because it's so clear. So he says, "Um, when I saw that they weren't straightforward with the truth, and that's straightforward, by the way, it's Greek word, really interesting word. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth and the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of a Gentile and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Well, there it is. In fact, G- Galatians is the, you, maybe you should open up a notes on your phone and just put in these references so that whenever you're talking to a legalist, you can open it up and you would have references to be able to go back to. You could go back on YouTube and we, we put timestamps on every place as we, on a study on YouTube. So you can go back and see every passage and you can click on it right where the video goes to it. Or you can hear me talk about that particular passage. And just maybe go back and make yourself a note. I, I've got a note in my notes called The Legalists. And every time I come across a passage that Paul talks against, or the New Testament talks against The Legalists, I put it in that note. It's pretty long right now, by the way. It would make a really long sermon. But it's good. And you can do that on any topic. You could do it on joy when you're going through Philippians. You could do it on hope. You could do it on anything. Just make a note titled that. And then as we're talking about passages, put it in, put it in your phone. And you can cut and paste if you're really good with your Bible app. Um, or you could just put down the reference. So that's pretty strong, right? If you being a Jew live in the manner of a Gentile and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Why are you making Gentiles live the law? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He's saying we're Jews by nature and not sinners like Gentiles because we had the law, which revealed that we were wrong. They were sinners of the Gentiles. And now you're making those sinners who are Gentiles to live like we were before we came to Christ. He says in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. There's another cut and paste into your notes, right? That's a perfect argument against the legalist. The legalist says, no, you've got to keep the Sabbath. No, you've got to keep certain dietary laws. No, you've got to keep. And notice the legalist is always picking and choosing. You will not run into a legalist who will say we have to keep the whole law because they're going to be killing lambs. And I've yet to run into a legalist who says we have to give, we have to kill lambs today. They say, well, no, Jesus is the lamb and he took away the lamb. So you can't make the leap from Jesus is the sacrifice. So we don't give sacrifices to Jesus is our rest, so we don't take a day of rest. You can't can't make that leap. You've got enough information that you can make a logical argument that Jesus is our sacrifice, so I don't have to give sacrifices today, but you can't make the leap over to any other part of it. Jesus is our high priest, so we don't have high priests. Jesus set us free, and we are free to eat anything we wanna eat. We don't have to go to church on Sunday, Saturday anymore. If we want to, we can, but Jesus is our Sabbath and we could go on and on. But it's very strong, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. That's that's the verse you, that's another verse you tell them. When they try to tell you, you've got to keep a law. You've got to be baptized to be saved. You've got to go to our church to be saved. You've got to speak in tongues to be saved. Wait a minute. Paul said in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So if you're telling me to do anything other than faith in Christ, then you are teaching a false doctrine. This is such a strong false doctrine that Paul called it another gospel and not even a gospel. It's another gospel, it's another good news, but it's not even good news. That's in chapter one. And now he's saying, you're saved by faith. This should not be an epiphany to any of us. It shouldn't be an epiphany to the legalist that comes into our midst and tells us that we have to keep the law. You should be able to go here and show them this passage and then go, okay. Well, that's pretty clear. It's, 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 there's no nuance in this at all. A lot of times there's commands that have nuances to them. And so people can kind of come in and put their spin on it. You know how each political party takes an event and they both say it's good for them? And they're pretty good at putting spin on things, both sides. It's like, woo, yeah, I'm spinning that story. I'm spinning that story. Well, that's the false teachers too. They take certain passages and they love to spin them. But let's look at it in context. Let's rightly divide the word of God. And there's no way you could walk away saying, we have to live by any kind of law. No one is justified by the law. No one. It says, but faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason Paul says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus is because Paul is a a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. His dad was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He excelled among his companions, he said, as a Pharisee. He says, even we had to believe in Jesus Christ. He's saying, I excelled so much that if you could be saved by the law, I would have been saved. That's what he's saying. But even we believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith through Christ, not in the works of the law. This is a guy coming out of the law saying, even we had to do this, who were in the law, steeped in the law. He was so caught up in the law, he was zealous and killed Christians because of it he goes on to say, not by works of the law, again. So he just repeats himself there in the middle of this. By faith, not by works. And the first one is, you can't be saved. uh, The law never saved anybody but faith. And then later on, not by works, but but by faith. It's very clear. For by the works of the law. Here's another cut and paste for your your notes. Maybe you should just do all chapters of verse 16. (laughs) For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. At every statement. I go, can it be any clearer? How can there be any legalists around today? Look, you wanna keep the law, more power to you, you know? You wanna keep the kosher laws, fine. Don't eat shrimp, I don't care, I'm gonna eat it. I don't know why you would want to. I don't know why you would put yourself back under bondage, but don't lay it on other people. You're so much like the Pharisees. They wouldn't lift one finger to lift the, the luggage they were putting on their people. And it's all pride anyway. The reason you're teaching legalistic in in pride is because you're keeping the law and you want other people to be under your law and you are somehow controlling them. It's all pride. You're stealing their freedom. The legalist doesn't go out in the world and try to make, you know, they don't go out into the world to try to make Christians. They come into the church and try to get people in the church to become legalists. They're attacking within the church. I'm not saying, anecdotally, there couldn't be one person that got saved on the street, right? Because somebody's going to write me a note. I know someone that got saved in a a Seventh-day Adventist church that believes that you can only be baptized. I mean, you have to go to church on Saturday to be saved. Anecdotal evidence is not the truth of Scripture. Because it happens in one place doesn't mean it's the truth of what happens. So then in verse... um, Well, I mean, you can compare this to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which you guys know well. Where Paul is not dealing so much with the legalist like he is in Galatians, but he's dealing with a broader sense. And he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And there's where I make the connection between works, the legalist, and pride. Paul said it. It's of grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because when you are a legalist, you are boasting in what you are doing. Your pride is now in the way. In verse 17, he says, but if while seeking to justi- uh, to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ, therefore, a minister to sin? Certainly not. So here Paul is answering the objection of the legalist. You you think if you if you have too much freedom, you're going to go out and sin. It's the same thing that he says in Romans chapter six. If we say that we have grace, so I'm going to abound in sin. May it never be. He's dealing with that same argument that's by the legalist. You shouldn't have that much grace because you're going to go out and sin. Paul's like, no, let's not use our liberty as an occasion for sin. We have the Spirit inside of us, and he's going to get into this here quickly. He says, "For, um, for I build. Uh, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor." Now think about what Paul's talking about. Even I had to believe in Christ. If I build again those things I destroyed, if I go back to the kosher law, to the kosher diets, to being a Pharisee, I then make myself a transgressor. He's now saying, I won't go back to those things because they're going to make me a transgressor. So Paul will not go back to them. Peter and those guys did. Then he says, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. The law killed him. The law condemned him under death. The law only has power, the Bible says, when a man is alive. If you're going 120 miles an hour down the freeway and a police officer pulls you over and says, that's criminal speeding. I'm arresting you. You're going to go to jail. It's a mandatory, by the way, six months in jail and you have a heart attack and die. You're like six months in jail. You have a heart attack and die. They're not going to put your body in jail because death has freed you from the law. Death frees you from the law in the Old Testament as well. You're not under the law when you die. You're free from it. So if you died in Christ, then you can't be under the law because you were set free from it when you died. So what does Paul say next? Here's another cut and paste for you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You want to argue that I'm going to sin if I have grace? Well, I'm dead. And Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with him. The law no longer has any power over you because you have been crucified with Christ. I was asked a question a little while ago. Why in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul says, if the dead do not rise, there were some people in Corinth who were denying the resurrection. And Paul says, if the dead do not rise, we of all people are the most pitiable. And there's a question about that. And I understand the question. And I've heard an argument before. Look, if it, even if we're wrong, we have a pretty good life right now following Jesus. Even if we're wrong, we die and we get into heaven. So, you know, hey, it's, it's, an, it's insurance policy to follow Jesus. You follow him now, you believe in him. If we're right, you get into heaven. If you don't, you're okay. But Paul says, if the dead don't rise, we are the most pitiable. Meaning, not the dead rise to go to hell, but if the dead don't rise, why? Because you died to yourself. Because you're supposed to make yourself a living sacrifice. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. You want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. It's full of sacrifice. The Christian walk. So you give up so much as a Christian that if the dead don't rise, then we of all people are the most pitiful because we could have used our lives to do what we could have done with our lives. But when we came to Christ, we laid our lives down and we died for Christ. And some of you might say, it doesn't feel like I've died to Christ. Then well, maybe there just needs to be a little more dying. A little more understanding what baptism is. A little more understanding what communion is. Baptism is that old man going under the water and being buried. And the new man coming out in the newness. And even as it says, talking about baptism in Romans chapter six, by the power of the spirit. The same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave is now a work in you. And that's the symbol of baptism. You've died. So you are not under the law. You can't, we can't do it. Communion. You're communing with his death. You're partaking of his death with him. You're partaking of his blood. His blood is being applied to you. Both of them are pictures of our death with Christ. For I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. For the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you have been crucified with Christ, you are dead and can no longer be under the law because the law has power as long as you're living, the Bible says. But as soon as you have died, the law has no more power over you. It's such a strong argument against the legalist. And if that isn't enough, he gives you one more verse to cut and paste into your little um, note that says the legalist on top of it. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Could there be enough verses that if a legalist were sitting here today, could there be another passage we could read that would be better for him to hear it than these passages? If you could be saved by the law, then Christ died in vain. I don't need to keep the law. We are free from it. And the legalist is scared you're going to use your freedom to sin. Well, We're dead in Christ. We're living for Him now. We're filled with the Spirit. We're supposed to be living our lives for Him. We're supposed to use our freedom not as an occasion for sin, but as an opportunity to grow our spirits and to bless other people. That's what our freedom is to be used for. You've been given freedom. You can do anything with it. What an absolutely amazing chapter as Paul is is reminded of facing off with Peter when he played the hypocrite. And then comes down and gives us a series of statements that just, to me, this chapter puts the nails in the coffin of the legalist. It's like every nail is hit hard and hit in the center and it closes the argument completely. There's no way by, by this chapter alone, much less the rest of the book, which we're going to cover, that I would ever give, you know, Paul said to the, of the legalist, we did not, uh, what, what, what word did he use? we did not give submission for even an hour. He said when he heard the legalistic argument, he didn't give submission to it for even an hour. Earlier in this chapter, don't give give submission to it for a minute. As soon as the legalist tells you, you've got to do this to be saved. Don't give it submission for even a minute. Say, I have been set free. I'm, I'm, I'm dead in Christ. If you could be saved by by, by getting baptized and Christ died in vain. You could get saved. And people say, well, it's baptism plus Jesus. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? It's the plus. It's Jesus alone. It's faith in Christ alone. He is the one we serve. He is the one we follow. Pretty strong case. Galatians chapter two. Remember it if you're ever facing off with a legalist. Not, not necessarily the way Paul did. It might do it like the verses that I read. But remember Galatians chapter 2, when you face off with the legalists. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is rich. It is meaningful. It is deep. It is profound. It hits us where we live. And you might think that they were dealing with the legalists 2,000 years ago and we shouldn't have to be dealing with them today. But we are because it's human pride. People want to make their own way. They want to do the works to be saved like the Syrian commander who didn't want to go dunk in the Jordan River because it wasn't noble enough for him. Receiving Christ isn't noble enough for some Christians. Lord, may you reveal to them the folly of this and how well it's been dealt with in Scripture. And Lord, I pray for everyone who is here that they would never fall into it, not give submission to it for even a moment. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.